Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Dude Therapist. We have Mo Ari Brown, an LMFT, who's one of the leading mental health experts in gender identity. And over the past decade, Mo has worked as a licensed marriage and family therapist with the LGBTQIA plus individuals, couples, and families. Through his professional work and journey as a person of transgender experience, Mo is now an expert in cultivating radical authenticity, the process of integrating, accepting, aligning, and celebrating one's intersecting identities despite threats to belonging. As a public speaker, Mo offers the lessons he learned, hoping that his story will inspire others to unconditional self-love and alignment. Mo is a CE course presenter for civil practice learning. His course offers other therapists valuable insights into building gender-affirming and celebratory practices. Mo is also the love and connection expert at Hinge. Pairing Hinge's research with Mo's expertise in LGBTQ relationships, Mo is at the forefront of building an inclusive dating space where all daters can find love. It is super exciting to have this conversation brought to you by Simple Practice in honor of Mental Health Day. Therapists deal with a lot. And Mo is one of the leading experts on how to deal with burnout in the real world as a therapist. And, you know, Simple Practice, simplifying practice management and reducing administrative work for more than 178,000 solo and small group therapists, including myself, recently launched a survey on burnout and Simple Practice heard from 550 therapists, from counselors to psychologists, and the results from the survey found that burnout is a serious problem amongst our professions. In fact, over half of therapists reported experience burnout this year. And that is going to be the conversation. We're going to use that, that survey with Mo and I to dive into how therapists feel, think, and deal with the reality of being a therapist what it's like to take on the burden of being a therapist and the huge and magical, beautiful responsibility of being a therapist. We talk about from grad school to clinical work, from administration work to the reality of sitting in a room or on Zoom or on a phone call with another human and dealing with that world. This conversation is both moving and real. I hope anyone who's listening can connect with it. And again, I want to thank Simple Practice for showing up for therapists, being there, and sponsoring this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. I'm super excited to have this conversation with the amazing Mo. He's someone that I didn't really know about. And then recently, kind of like, you came up somewhere else, and then this opportunity happened, and now I can't stop watching your stuff and listening to you and <laughs> and looking at, at the beauty that you bring to this world and your journey is, is filled with so many ups and downs but but it is a journey right and um you know one of the biggest connectors mo is, is therapists is something that like creates such a beautiful conversation and you know before we get started i want to thank simple practice for making this conversation happen it's going to be a, a beautiful conversation about burnout and, and the side of therapy and which i don't think people talk about enough so, Mo, before we get into anything, can you introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners, and we'll get right into the awesome conversation. 
Well, thank you for the intro. Uh, I am Mo Ari Brown, licensed marriage and family therapist. I am originally from Chicago, so I'm licensed in Illinois, but I'm currently living in Georgia, so I'm also licensed in Georgia. I identify as non-binary trans mask, and I use they, them, or he, him pronouns if I didn't say that already. <laughs> and uh, I predominantly over the past decade have worked with uh, the LGBTQIA plus community and uh, specifically working with transgender people to help them get letters for medically necessary care and to help them through gender transition. So I would say that that's like my area of expertise. And now you could probably find me somewhere public speaking on social media, talking about uh, gender affirming care, but also just talking about relationships and love and what it means to be evolving. Uh, so I've, I take a lot of my own lived experience and I share them on my my podcast. And um, yeah, I would say that that's pretty much what I'm up to now. Some writing too in there sprinkled about. Mm. No biggie, just doing everything. All good. You know? <laughs> so Mo, what, like what pulled you into being a therapist? Because we all have a, a story that that pushes us into that world of, of helping others. Um, so what, what's your story about being a therapist? Thank you for asking. Uh, I actually didn't begin my therapy journey necessarily knowing that I was going to be working predominantly with transgender people because my gender transition uh, happened a little later into my therapy journey, maybe like a few years in. Uh, but I originally saw my first therapist ever. Like, I don't think I knew a therapist growing up on the South side of Chicago until I got to college in Northwestern. And I was processing, having a very difficult time with some childhood sexual trauma. And so I saw my first therapist on campus um, and she was a woman of color and she was the only woman of color uh, that was seeing clients. And she actually happened to be an intern. So I only got to see her one year. And after she left, I was like, there should be more of us. Why have I never heard of these people called therapists? This is changing my life. And this is what I want to be doing. So I signed up uh, for, well, I applied for the graduate program at Northwestern Family Institute. And I got in. So that was like the only place I uh, applied to. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So it kind of solidified my path as a marriage and family therapist. But it was the right choice for me, just looking at systems and how our generational patterns end up impacting our lives. All of that feels like my life. Uh, so the traumas I'd experienced, my mom also experienced, my grandma also experienced. And I was like, how do we end that in this generation? Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I became a therapist. So trauma work is like the foundation of the work that I do. Amazing. You know, it's just so interesting. I've collaborated with a lot of different therapists across this podcast. And so interesting of uh, just the voice that people felt going to a therapist like themselves mm -hmm. saying, where have you been? I've never, I've never heard about this. I've never seen someone like you who is doing this. I need to do this too, to create that, whether it's Aaron Muller, the black therapist or Max Stanley out in New York and, um, uh, and all these amazing Stevan Lewis and Marielle Bucot, who are just like, really, and yourself are just really trying their best to create a voice for everyone to feel seen and heard when it comes to their mental health. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, when it comes to me being a therapist, it was the fact that I also went to therapy for sexual trauma when I was a kid and that kind of started my, and ADHD and that kind of started my honesty with myself to, to have someone in my corner. 
And you know, when just funny enough, when when you were in training, right, you're doing the hours, right? I don't know about you, but I worked in a clinic that I was seeing like 45 people a week working 10 to 12 hours a day and just could not keep up. And to me, I got a, I got really afraid of being a therapist because I thought to myself, this is not sustained. I can't do this forever. What was your experience like as a student or even starting off to get your licensure and your, your L for the MFT part? I am so glad you said that out loud. Uh, I think this is a very not well-known thing about me. I just didn't know if I was going to graduate at a point. <laughs> uh, I was behind on hours, but I was also behind administratively. So I was, I've always struggled with paperwork that uh, when you're seeing people or clients back to back and you're trying to ground in between sessions or you're trying to do something other than, you know, focus on what just happened, especially when you're knee deep in trauma work with people, um, it became really challenging to keep up. So I would say my experience was like really struggling with administrative tasks, not knowing if I was going to graduate. Uh, I don't tell many people that, but I somehow graduated on time. I was at a point thinking I was going to have to spend an extra quarter and how, whoever knows how many thousands and thousands of dollars to actually finish uh, on time. So my experience was definitely feeling overloaded and overwhelmed. And that kind of continued into the beginning of my therapy career, I would say. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Um, Civil practice ran a survey to like talk to their clinicians to figure out kind of what are the the, the points, trigger points of, of people's struggle, especially with burnout and compassion fatigue. They felt like 52% of, of, of kind of clinicians really feel this, this struggle of that I can't do this anymore or I'm just not myself or what I used to be. And it's funny when I was in a clinic back in New York, now I live in Vegas and I had, and if you want to ever come out and hang out, please let me know, Mo. Absolutely. You're always welcome. <laughs> just, just call, text me. You have, we have two extra bedrooms. You got this. Okay. You, okay. you don't have to spend, don't spend, don't spend the money on this trip. Just come hang out. Um, and I had two, two supervisors of such different styles I had one supervisor who was old school, who's all about clinical. He would say, screw, screw the paperwork, screw the admin, just write what you can do your best, but focus on the person, focus on the human. And then I had another supervisor over the years who was like, no, admin first, clinical second. And it was so confusing because when I didn't have the pressure of the admin stuff, if I didn't have that intensity about it, I felt I was a better clinician. But admin's important. Can you talk a little bit about the balance of both of like and how you maybe learned over the years to to balance the two things? You know, honestly, I think the balance started to come for me in the the beginning of 2020. So the very beginning of the pandemic, I would say leading up to that, I was always primarily in group practices. So I really relate. I had supervisors uh, that whole time, even as a licensed person, it was always a requirement in group practices to have like some type of supervision. And so everybody had a different style. Some people were relaxed, some people weren't. Um, but when I started to uh, branch out on my own. I knew I was moving to Atlanta. I was like, I want to do this uh, my way because pr primarily I've been told, you know, you have to work evenings most days of the week as a family therapist, so you're not going to make any money, like all of the things. I was like, well, I want to do 
do this in a way that I, I can make it su sustainable because it wasn't. I was like really struggling going into the pandemic. So then this this happens in 2020 and I'm like, well, I have to figure out how to do this where I can actually keep up because I already know myself and admin work uh, and that's just not going to happen well unless it gets easier. And it had been handwritten sometimes in previous experiences. It was bad. Um, and so simple practice actually was how I started to manage a lot of that administrative uh, struggle. It made it, I can't even say like a thousand times easier for me. And I was able to build a practice which had previously only been a dream. Uh, for me, it was like, wow, I could have had this a long time ago had I, you know, really researched or explored other avenues. Uh, and so I'm really happy that I figured out how to manage that via simple practice. And it really showed me how these boundaries around our time become really, really important as therapists because our time is such a valuable resource. And when you're really present to another person for 50 minutes at a time, some of us do 45 minutes, some people are 53 to 54. Uh, when you're with someone in present, you're not checking your phone, you're not uh, checking in with your life. And so you get like this 10 minute block to really check in with you. And that's just not enough, especially for many of us who are, uh, especially beyond the pandemic, um, many of us are really taxed. And so what I loved about that research too, is that it really uh, pulled out some insights about how many people have been struggling after a COVID-19 pandemic. And yeah. uh, that's significant. Yeah. And I will say also, you know, something just to, 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 to speak on civil practice for a second, something that, that a lot of um, other EHRs or electronic, you know, um, uh, don't have is an app. Yes. And something that I do sometimes is that if I'm going to be scrolling on my phone anyways, and I'm like, can I waste 30 minutes of my life or four minutes of my life right now just scrolling? Or can I just write a quick note and something yeah. that I've done, which I really suggest for any therapist listening, anyone who's listening, who's starting their therapy practice, a student, I don't, whoever you are, voice noting your notes. Simple practice has an ability to push the microphone and you can speak your notes instead of having to type it. I know yeah. for me, I am a terrible writer. I, and I would love to write books. It's my biggest fear. I would rather speak in front of a million people. So if you're a better speaker than you are a writer, or that's how you're able to get the information out, voice note it. It comes out and actually does a really good job. It has saved me, no joke, hours of my life because mm -hmm. I can speak quicker than I type. And also I'm terrible at spelling. So we're not going to talk about all my faults and how terrible I am at writing. But Mo, for me, that has been a lifesaver because it has been a quick one, two, three. I can hop on my headphones, my AirPods but you already have in any ways listening to my clients and kind of creating that that's that space for them to feel that no one's listening, even though no one's listening. And then I can just hop on five minutes, say something quick, whatever happened. And let's just be real. If you're going to use the, the voice to text in regards to being able to write your notes, be smart, be cognizant, follow HIPAA compliance, you know, civil practice is a great tool, but still be smart about where and how you are doing these messaging in a good ethical way to create that life balance. I also will say this life balance, this work-life balance that 60% of clinicians have said I've struggled with. I used to be a, uh, I still am a supervisor. I've not had the ability to supervise a student in a little bit since moving to another state. Can't supervise cross state. Yeah. Um, hope to supervise soon within Nevada. 
one of my students was so adamant writing paragraphs on paragraphs on paragraphs about a session. Please, clinicians, please do yourself a favor. Figure out the most important points. You're not expected to write everything that was said in the session. Write the important points and then sign it and walk away. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect when it comes to your notes. No one else is checking it. It's just you. Take it seriously, but not so serious where you steal yourself hours of your life. How do you find that work-life balance and self-care for yourself as a clinician when if working as a therapist is hard enough and it drains you and now you're adding admin to it? How do you have a life for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one is a powerful question. I know most of us are struggling with that. Uh, I think for me, you're absolutely right. It's what you're getting at is almost like working smarter, not harder. And so I yeah. love that tangible tool. I'm like, how often could I have been doing that? Um, <laughs> but uh, I am thinking so much about. The ways that I make time for myself, I do something that's kind of like a practice for me. It's just like grounding on the go. And so I know, mm-hmm. well, I'll explain it first before I launch into it. But grounding on the go for me is spending time wherever I have time to check in with myself. And so that can range from doing like a body scan, just deep breathing for like three minutes, taking my shoes off. I am well known for not having my shoes on in therapy. I am grounding. I'll like um, eat a peppermint or I'll burn essential oils or I'll do something like that to have some tangible way to connect with myself in those that space. And a lot of times I've kind of approached self-care like for my days off. And self-care doesn't have to be that way. Self-care can really be in in the moment. And so I think some ways that clinicians can really begin to check in with themselves uh, in between sessions can be like on the go. Some some ways to find that balance like in the moment so that it's not you spend eight hours focused on other people and now you get home and you have time for yourself. That's not balance. Uh, Well, at least it's not for me. Everybody has their own cadence. Uh, For me, it has been finding ways to to do both essentially i love that that's why by the way i love doing tele teletherapy is that i get to wear my slippers while i'm doing therapy so i kind of feel as comfortable as possible i remember when i first became a clinician i had this thought that i had to dress a certain way and act a certain way even bought a fancy pen for myself to be like officially a therapist i even got the tweed jacket you know with the absolutely with the little patch you gotta get the patch and you gotta get the, the the sweaters you gotta get sweater vests um but Absolutely. when I started feeling comfortable myself physically, and I was able to be more comfortable with my with my people because if I'm comfortable and I'm taking care of myself, and I, I think it's a really disservice that I, I this is one of the reasons I would love to be a professor um, in, a, in a grad school is because I don't think grad schools, and I'm not here to bash all grad schools. I'm not here to say that it's not worth it. All I'm saying is the stuff about self-care, the stuff about compassion fatigue, the stuff about burnout is not discussed because they're talking so much about theory and practice Mm. and clinical that they're forgetting about talking to the clinician about what it's actually like to be a human as a therapist. And I remember one of the, my, my, my favorite professors I ever had, I always shout this man out. He's the reason I'm a good therapist. I believe I might not be a good therapist depending on who you ask, but I think 
from him, I am. Uh, his name is Dr. Uh, Alan Perry. Um, and he taught us from experience what it was like to be a human and be with a human as a therapist. And to me, that's missing in the clinical setting of grad school because they don't talk about, hey, I know we're telling you that paperwork, 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 but there's more important things in life than paperwork because like you are important and yeah. your clients are important. So, you know, it's so sad. COVID really did a huge number on all of us mm-hmm. in, in all their different ways for many different reasons. And it's so interesting that everyone talks about doctors and nurses as the one who took such a hit and they did yeah. and power to them. And I appreciate all the hard work and the sacrifice and the hours and the struggle and the, the you know, the destruction that it took on their field. Don't, no one talks about the mental health field and how all of a sudden, I don't know about you, I was getting calls every week, referrals, multiple, multiple referrals. I finally realized I have anxiety. I finally realized I don't know how to deal with this. I finally realized. So since then, you know, there have been a spike with this, this amazing survey, 29%. Um, and even up to, I think it's, um, what, what was it? Oh, oh, 57% said that they would leave mental health within five years because of burnout and since COVID struggles. Mm. That's so sad to hear. Yeah. What do you think is leading people to burnout and and what can change? What yeah. can we do for the mental health field? What can we do for the clinicians? What are some suggestions you might have that you've seen that have helped you or that you see in the mental health world as a whole? Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for highlighting that. And, you know, I'll try to answer both of your questions very well uh, and, and pull on, yank my chain if I don't. Uh, but to your first question about like what has caused that, think, you know, so many people in within that survey, I think the majority of people noted work-life balance. And then next was administrative tasks. So we've like kind of talked about both of those. And then this third thing that's very like near and dear to my heart is compassion fatigue. And I think so many of us experience that and we may not know. We may be thinking, oh, I'm not doing uh, sexual trauma work. So am I impacted by compassion fatigue? I think as a mental health clinician, you probably are experiencing some version of that uh, in your own way. So it's important to know what that looks like and how that shows up for you. Uh, I think compassion fatigue since the pandemic has probably been much higher for, well, we're seeing in the research, it absolutely has been. So that's the confirmation. Uh, But for COVID, there's just been a lot of loss, a lot of change, a lot of transition, a lot of things that never went back to how they were. So that comes with a lot of grief. And so I'd say so many clinicians have probably been experiencing their personal and professional worlds kind of colliding in many ways. Uh, All of that kind of spills over. And I think it's interesting from the research, what therapists have been doing about it. So, so many of them have been leaning on support from other practitioners in order to uh, get through a lot of this burnout and to reinvigorate their practices. Uh, 
uh, I want to say 64% reinforced their boundaries around their time and really checked in more with their uh, clients about their their boundaries. And then 53% of them went to some type of mental health or mental wellness practice for themselves. Uh, myself included, I am going to a support group tonight <laughs> around transgender health because I am like, give me all of the support uh, so that I can really show up for other people. I had to learn this. I had to learn what it meant to give from overflow versus giving from like this very half empty cup. Then we're like sharing the rations of like what I have left. And it's just not good. Uh, it's, it's just not, it's not the best kind of practice. And so I also had our first, me and my wife had our first child in the pandemic. And so that was like another thing that shifted for me that I imagine for many people contributes to a load of change. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thinking well, a lot about, I'm thinking a lot about that. You know, I just want to give some, uh, a personal thing, you know, when, when you were talking before earlier about the hours and you have to work late hours and all that kind of stuff, this life, these boundaries about your life are super important. I got two kiddos that I obsess over and I love them to pieces. I don't care if they're my clients are in New York or in Nevada. I have a certain stop time because I have values and belief systems that I need to be with my children and my wife who I love. And I want to be a part of their life and not be someone who's not around. So at five o'clock, my kids are home. I end my practice at 4.30 PM, 4.45 the latest. So I can pick them up, have my fun with them in the car, blasting music, singing, hearing about their day and try my best to be present for those hours. If all I'm doing is seeing clients till I go to bed, that doesn't help me and definitely doesn't help me be involved with my kids. Now, of course, there are exceptions. Crisis happens. A phone call is different than a full session. And I think you as a clinician have to figure out what that balance is with the external things in your life, whether it is a family, whether it's friends, whether it's a new partner that you're dating, whether it's going to have fun by yourself. If that means taking a bath, watching a nice movie, having some ice cream, getting some pizza in and just enjoying or having a dance party with yourself. It doesn't matter. You have to figure that out. And, and you can create those boundaries. You can start a little later in the day and maybe go to the gym if you want in the morning. Um, and you are the one who controls it. And here's the sad truth. And I, and I really want to be honest and, 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 and compassionate. There are so many people suffering. It is not your job to take on all of them. You can't. There are so many clinicians in this world. And unfortunately, a lot of clinicians are at their end, how many they can take. But there's always a turnover. I'm losing clients for whatever reason, financially, scheduling, life happens, they're doing better. So don't try to take on everyone because the person who's going to get hurt the most is you. Take on what you can, figure out what that number is. Try a higher number if you feel comfortable. If that doesn't work, lower it. But don't stop seeing people. And, I, and, and just for me, I, I was struggling with burnout uh, about a year ago. Um, I moved, two kids, new practice, a lot of stuff. I go to therapy. I need someone to talk to about life. And yes, my partner is very empathetic and listens beautifully, but it's not always on her to take on all my burdens. And it's okay for clinicians to get help. And there are so many beautiful support groups online. There's so many wonderful Facebook groups. Be careful about Facebook groups just because sometimes it's a lot of like, you know, 
I, I don't know a good word, way of saying it, but it's not always the healthiest environment of mm-hmm. production and a lot of just poo-pooing the, you know, the practice. I'm trying to be nice and not curse. Um, and, you know, and that idea of, of the beauty of what we do versus the, the, the struggle. And it's mm-hmm. good to have a balance of both. And I think yeah. there were days that, and if I'm speaking to any clinician here, if you have days where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see this client. I just want to go back into bed. I'm so tired, even though I got a full night's sleep. I haven't gone to the bathroom in six hours or I haven't eaten food and I haven't had lunch. There's something wrong. Yes. You need to look at your practice, look at the way you're doing it and adjust. You shouldn't have to suffer. You need to be your, not your best because no one is, you can't be perfect, but do the best that you can with what you have that day. And if you feel you're lacking, you're not doing your best for your clients. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some, you know, something that I, I know you're very involved in? is the LGBTQIA plus community. I didn't know this when, um, you know, and that's the the lack of, of knowledge and understanding of a world that I'm not in, is that there's such a distinction of the burnout in that community. Can you talk about why some of the, the burdens that, that affect that community differently and clinicians that deal with that community comparatively to other communities? Yes. Well, well, now you put me in this very hard open space. So I just am so appreciative. That's what we're here for. We love hard open spaces. You spoke right to me. Um, And specifically for the LGBTQ plus community, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but I know that the community um, is often under-resourced. Many, much I will say LGBTQ plus people are more likely to have experienced not only discrimination through by a medical provider, but some type of violence or harassment at the hands of a medical provider, including mental health professionals. They're more likely to have been turned away because the therapist or the medical provider doesn't feel like they have the right expertise. And so they're already coming in the door with uh, a lot more um, suspicion or challenge in the therapy, let a, even if we share identities. Uh, that also doesn't speak to the systemic barriers like uh, being more likely to experience homelessness or have discrimination in a public accommodation or to be lower income and onward. Um, and so we know as clinicians, when we are working with any population that is often marginalized or is often under-resourced, that we can't be often at a high level of thinking at the in the therapy work. We have to be trying to address the basic needs first. And so often mental health work can feel like case management. It can feel uh, like or can operate, let's say, like case management in, in those instances, or can operate like trying to help them access other services. And that's why I became so involved in helping people to get medical referral letters, because so many people were coming to me and saying that they did not, they were not able to meet anybody that would write those letters. And I've also had the experience of a longtime therapist saying, no, I will not write that letter. And I had to start all over and find somebody else. Uh, And so as a therapist, that was heartbreaking. And I was like, I don't want that to be the case. Uh, But I would say that um, 
with all those compounding factors and the intersectional marginalized identities, you're often seeing compounded traumas and com- very complex mental health uh, situations. And so the LGBTQ plus community uh, is a really unique community to work with. It's so much more I could say, but I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> how, do, how do you how do you deal with that balance? You know, because because yeah. you're you, you've gone through the struggle, you've gone through your own journey of that of that world of dealing with the mental health side of it, or getting trying to get the help, or or look for a resource. How do you balance your own self while working with people who are going with think, through things similar, or even at the same time as you are? You know, your advice earlier spoke to me a lot because I've had to sit with what the balance in my practice would be. Sometimes it means having a balance in the modalities that I'm seeing. And so I might not um, see a whole caseload of individuals. Maybe I'll look for levity in couples therapy or family therapy with uh, some trans youth or something. I'll try to like figure out what the balance within my practice might be in order to continue serving the community in a way that feels like it's um feels like it works well then i'll do other things like offer ce courses through simple practice where i get to help other clinicians learn how to be gender affirming and celebratory uh, and that is important because we need more representation across uh, identities and across therapists within the field and so for me um I find ways to stay connected to the community personally so that I am still feeling held within the community. And then I'm able to really lean in as a therapist to the community by doing so. I think you're, you're really touching on something really powerful about diversifying your, your, your skills and, and your, and your passions. I know for me, like I, I, I do therapy, right. I'm, I work with individuals. Uh, I specialize in relationships. So I work with a lot of couples every day. Um, but I also have this podcast to to create kind of a different rhythm of my day that doesn't yeah. feel as it invigorates me versus sometimes draining me. And there are some clients that I work with that invigorate me just as much in my podcast and some clients that drain me just as much as something else in my life, right? It's all this balance. And even recently, uh, first time saying this out loud, I'm thinking about opening a group practice just because yeah. um, like with like one to three clinicians um, with me. Um, you know, to help supervise, to educate and do that. Cause that's a huge part of me that I miss of supervising yes. and educating young clinicians of what it means to actually be a therapist and also me working less and still maybe making the same amount or more money so that mm-hmm. I can have more time for me instead of feeling the need to add. And, and there's something that happens to me. I don't know if you feel this way. And I have a hard question after this, not, not, not so hard. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. Um, like when you get that call from a client, and you really want to work with them, but you just don't have the space. It breaks my heart. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I wish I had the space. And they're like, please, you're the, the first person that's answered my email after six months. Yes. I have a rule of thumb, by the way. I don't know if you do this. I answer every call or email, even if I can't work with someone. Because yeah. I know when I was looking for a clinician, I barely, no one answered. And yeah. I got an answer once, like six months later, like, oh, I just saw your email. Thanks. Like, what? That's six months ago. So I try my best. And the question I have for you is that there's so much burnout. And, you know, with that survey that, that you can see that the mental health conversation is up front and center in most people's lives, in the media, with sports and athletes, with politics and policies, 
things are right up front and center. And it's just going to get harder and worse for people because life is not, it is hard. So in the end, therapists are charging more to make it worth their while and then pushing out people who can't afford it. It's why, by the way, I take insurance. Um, and if someone wants to pay self-pay, like cash, like, thank you. But yeah. access is really important. What do you think needs to change in like the mental health community to kind of help clinicians do better for their clients as well as clients get the help they need? This is a really great question and I am open to your thoughts and I think it's so, I'm, it's so layered, uh, but I love it. I have I'm a very thinking. sassy idea, but I want to hear yours <laughs> first. Well, Oh, you hit on so many of the things. I think um, you. we've talked about how educational programs can be structured in order to give us a more realistic idea of what it's like to actually be at 30 to 40 hours a week and whether or not that's realistic. Um, I don't know if that should be the ultimate goal of the field. Um, I think it would be nice if insurance reimbursed more. It'd be nice if student loans were not as heavy as they are in going back into payment next month. Uh, it, it's so many, you know, layers to that. And then I think in the immediate, I I would love to see more institutions, uh, wherever clinicians are uh, operating, I would like to see them do more of what simple practice is doing by offering like, um, free CEs throughout the month of October uh, in order to really honor mental health. I'd love to see them uh, offer more tools and moments for grounding and uh, more of that grounding on the go, like I was talking about. I'd like to see this ongoing investment in the clinician's well-being uh, like I'm experiencing through simple practice, uh, but I, I wish it would have started earlier in my career uh, so that it wasn't like I got to the pandemic when I really needed it. And now I've got the tool. It would have been nice to have been like <laughs> developing that along the way. And so I've had beautiful mentors that have given me different nuggets, but to see that on these larger scales, it would be really, really beautiful. Want to hear my sassy thing that I think would really help? Yes, absolutely. I'm really, my, my style is no BS, lots of compassion. So I have a little sass in every session and everything I do because yeah. sass is life sometimes. Sometimes you got to get the real, you know, absolutely. I think what helped me as a clinician was opening the ability to work with so many different people across many different states Yeah, and not making it so difficult and so hard to control the, the continued education to control, um, I think during COVID, one of the beautiful things that happened was that anyone was able to work with everyone. Absolutely. So if someone in another state heard you speak, Mo, and said, I need Mo. Mo is the voice of reason. Mo has my heart. Mo has my soul. I need to work with Mo. That means that someone is searching for you and they are so excited to work with you that they are gonna be there in session fully. And I've had people reach out to me, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's a speaking thing I've done. Hey, I know I'm not in your state. What can I do? And it's yeah. such a hard conversation. And mm -hmm. I've seen from working with a lot of clinicians through the podcast and other things that people are going so as, as far as dropping their licensure to be able to help as many people as possible because mm -hmm. people are finding and searching through mm -hmm. either groups or courses or things of that nature. And I think that there is this undertone of like bubbling underneath 
of yeah. people trying to force, and there are a few states that actually have started signing these things of loosening the strings and the tightness and the red tape on letting the boundaries go a little less so that we can see people because what if you live in a place that doesn't have a therapist like you? Absolutely. What if you live in a place that doesn't have someone that talks or speaks the way that you want to be spoken to? Yeah. You're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. What if you're in a space that has not that I live in Nevada. There are not that many clinicians here compared to California and yeah. um, New York or yeah. even Chicago he, or Florida, huge yeah. places, right? Huge towns. That means the people there are going to suffer. Yeah. So to me, that's that's like a very sassy but reality that I think if we just loosened a little bit the reins of control, it doesn't mean that CEUs don't matter, right? Yeah. And like you said, Simple Practice is having unbelievable CEUs during the, the month of October to help with self-care, burnout, and compassion for yourself and taking care of yourself as a clinician. CEUs can still be there. But like, let's make it a national license yeah, so that we can help people who find us. Mm-hmm. And say, I need you, not well, I guess I'm stuck with you. That yeah. doesn't start the therapeutic process off pretty well, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I I've had multiple people reach out to me to say the people in the area that fit my your insurance, they just are not for me, whether it's a gender thing, whether it's a style, whether it's mm-hmm. a religious background that they're concerned about, right? Or what there's millions of reasons why you don't want to work with someone. But your profile speaks to me, and I have to mm-hmm. say, sorry, you can't. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that would help clinicians feel excited that people are finding them and want to work with them. I think it would help people find the care that they actually want that can actually help them versus feeling forced and pigeonholed to work yeah. with people. Um, that's just my SAS take on what can happen, you know, yeah. in, in the world of mental health. That's just me. It's real. I actually got an email from a previous client today who was like asking me if I had space. And I mean, I'm still licensed in Illinois, uh, but that just speaks to, you know, sometimes people reach out because they have a prior relationship and they're like, there's nobody I found like you. Um, yep. And so you're right that that ability to continue the work, even if you move. Um, so I've had clients that move out of state and it's like, then what do we do? Uh, yep. There's just all of that, that gets muddy. And so you're right. That opportunity got opened up for us. In the, it sounds like people leave and drop their licensure for mm-hmm. to do like more coaching. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that since the pandemic. Just because, just because it would be giving them more access to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, of course there's a, a thing that it's not so, you know, we have to be careful what that means and, and, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's a little muddied water and a little complex than just have a licensure, don't have a licensure and what that might mean. But it's sad that people feel the need to drop it just because they can't work with people they want to. And, mm-hmm. and any clinician who's listening, being licensed is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. It mm-hmm. gives you ethics and morals that you have to live by and, and a, a body that oversees your, your work. But yeah. it also means that it's a responsibility and sometimes a burden that's very heavy. And you have to figure that out. And, you know, for me, what I would say is I was looking through a lot of different, you know, electronic health systems to figure out how to unburden that. Yes. And, and for me, simple practice, you know, I heard a lot of uh, chatter when they upped their prices and everyone's like, boo, 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 boo. that's the noise I heard. Everyone's like, boo. but in reality, I think it's one of the best systems to be able yes. to, and I would say this even if they didn't sponsor the show, but yeah. I really believe this. They have a very great system to do it well. And I'm telling you, the app with the voice notes changes my life. 
mm-hmm. and no one else does that. So yeah. find what works for you, but I'm telling you simple practice. So can you talk a little bit in the last couple of minutes about how maybe simple practices is really helping therapists, not just from an administrative perspective, but in a bigger mm-hmm. sense of the, of the mental health world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I per- this has been my personal experience. And like you said, like I would say this either way, and I've been saying it, uh, it made the dream of being a practice owner really, the simple practice made that dream like very accessible. Uh, when I left the Chicago to come to Georgia, my parents had always wanted me to be an entrepreneur of some kind. I didn't know what that path was going to be. I knew I didn't become a doctor like they wanted me to. So I was like, I have to make this work. And I was extremely successful. It did not, it took me a month to have a full caseload and, you know, seeing all the people I wanted to see. And that really changed my life. And then since then, it's like, I've done public speaking, I've been writing and doing the things, but I think that of the ability to actually live into a dream like mattered that helped with the burnout I was experiencing at the beginning of the pandemic. And so, you know, when we, I want to say to therapists listening, being able to accomplish a goal, is like very, very important. So that's what helped me. Um, and so uh, simple practice in the month of October is going to actually take the whole month to honor uh, mental health And so there are, like you say, there are a number of CEs being offered for uh, to help with therapist burnout, compassion fatigue, and and so on. There are also features within the app to help support therapists with in between sessions with their grounding and uh, ongoing simple practice offers CEs and education of all kinds to help therapists. And so I think there are a lot of resources there on top of the administrative uh, resources that make a big difference. Yeah. And if you want to access that, you know, I think there's a, also a guided meditation. Um, yeah. You can head over to simplepractice.com slash dude uh, to check them out um, and really um, have access to unbelievable knowledge and resources like yourself, Mo. Um, who are just changing the conversations, impacting the conversations, and and really just just getting into people's lives in a way that's so beautiful and so helpful. So you know, any last words for for any anyone who's listening uh, about your experience, burnout, and how and how uh, you've been able to deal with it? Yeah, my I just want to offer empathy and compassion to any therapist that's currently experiencing burnout. We're in this together. I think for any therapist that is working with a often marginalized community, uh, I just want to say that we we see you. I see you. Uh, I am right in that with you. And I know that it's challenging in, in many moments. And so in those moments, I often think about my why. I think about why I'm doing what I'm doing. At the beginning of my time as a therapist, I said, I, I, I remember telling my professor in grad school, I always want to feel this curious. I always want to feel this passionate. And so in moments where I haven't, and I've been struggling to get up and see clients, I can reconnect with that why. And that really has helped me. And rediscovering it is important too, because it might shift. For me now, I love talking to other therapists about being celebratory and affirming. And before it would have just been my clients. So allow yourself as you feel the loss or the grief of what has been to step into a new version of what your practice can look like and reinvigorate it. That can sometimes help with burnout too. Love that. And last thing I'll say is, uh, you know, money is really nice, yeah. but you're more, you're more important. 
So be careful, be smart, and be aware of your needs as a therapist yeah. because you matter just as much as your clients do. And I'll say that a million times over to as many people who need to hear that. You matter just as much as your clients do. So if you're not taking care of yourself, what would your therapist say to you? If mm-hmm. you were your therapist, what would you say to you? You'd say, take a step back, breathe, find yourself, reinvigorate, reassess, all those powerful things. Don't forget about yourself. And one extra client is not going to make the difference. Don't push yourself past your limits. Know who you are. Know your limits. Find resources like simple practice and these things to help ease the burden of being an amazing clinician. Don't Mm -hmm. do it yourself. Get help. Find help. Get those resources. Get those things. And do your best every day. And, you know, I really appreciate, Mo, you, you, you being on the show and, and hopefully a continued and a start of a wonderful friendship. Yes. You are awesome. You and if anyone's watching or sees this, we are not wearing the same color shirt, even though we kind of are. So we were twinsies, but not really. Absolutely. Um, it means our, our energies were connected. Our minds were on the same page. But yeah. again, thank you so much for, for being on the show. And, and thank you so much, Little Practice, for making this conversation happen. Yay. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. It means a lot to me because without you, the listeners, this podcast can't happen. So every listen, every download, every rate, review, and share means so much to me. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Talking about wellness, mental health, and relationships is one of my passions. And that's what this podcast is all about. So thanks so much for tuning in. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, thoughts, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Always feel free to DM me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Don't forget to be kind to yourself and to others. And as always, see you next time on the Dude Therapist Podcast.